So last week, we began a series that we're entitling The Big God Story. And we began that story at the beginning. And we began with God's creation. And the very first verse in all the Bible tells us a lot. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he created everything. And what we looked at, you know, helped us to understand that when God created, he created an incredible, pristine world. There are some descriptions around it that recur throughout Genesis chapter 1 when God creates on different days, and God saw that it was good. And then he creates more, and he saw that it was good, and he saw that it was good, and you see that several times throughout Genesis chapter 1. And then at the pinnacle of God's creation, there is humanity. It says that male and female, he created them. In the image of God, he created them. And so mankind alone in all of God's creation has the opportunity to be in relationship with God. And at the end of that day of creation, God saw everything that he had made, and it was very good, very good. Because what God made is right, and what God made was wholesome, and what God made was clean. And all was well. And you know, part of being created in the image of God, and we ask this question, you know, what does that mean to be created in the image of God? We don't look like God because God, by definition, is an infinite, eternal spirit without boundaries or limitations who possesses an intellect, a personality, emotions, and will. So we don't look like God. So what does that mean? And here's what we talked about, that mankind alone amongst God's creation has creativity and has responsibility over the creation and has spirituality, the opportunity to walk together with God in a relationship. And this one idea of creativity, this last week I thought maybe it'd be a good idea to illustrate that just a little bit. And so we went to some of the children of some of our staff members and we gave them some Play-Doh and we said, make something. And I wanna share some of those creations here with you. So this is Manny, our children's pastor, her son, Adam. He created Pookie Bear, which, you know, interestingly, that's his nickname. So he named his creation after himself. Um, so that's kind of cool. Mason created Slimehead, um, the fish. That's definitely a guy thing, right, to name it Slimehead. Um, Lila created Mango. That is a sea turtle, I think, you know, and, uh, you know, really nice design and everything. Hope um, created Sir Froggy Frogalot of the 7th District. Um, <laughs> glad he's not from the 6th District. Those people are crazy over there. So this is from the 7th District there with huge bulging eyes. And then Cammie Pester Mike's daughter created Pig the Dog. Originally, it was supposed to be a pig, but apparently it looked more like a dog, so it became Pig the Dog, and it's complete even with a dog bone. So this, I think, helps us to understand, yeah, there is this aspect of being created in God's image that brings creativity along with it. But here's the thing, and maybe if you're new to this story, you might ask this question. I think it's a good, story, a good question to ask in light of where the story started. So are you saying the world today is good and very good? Because there's some things that happen in this world that I would not call good, and I would certainly not call very good, and you'd be right. You know, give me, I'll give you a couple examples, all right? So tomorrow night, uh, my team, the Dallas Cowboys, is playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in the playoffs, right? This is where it's serious, and you know, all the stuff is on the line. And so, 
not only is that my team, by the way, it happens to be God's favorite team too, the Cowboys, and <laughs> glad you agree with me. And so when I walked into my office this morning, I had a visual illustration that the world is not the way that it's supposed to be because I came into this. I'm pretty sure that's an actual image of Tom Brady um, there, and I knew he was old, but man, I, it's pretty far along there. And the world is not the way that it should be because there's Tampa Bay Buccaneer fans on the loose around here. And we joke about this, and we love this, and this is all in good fun. But we know, don't we, that there's some serious examples of how the world is not the way that it should be. Some college students in Idaho whose lives were cut short. And people struggling with addiction. And families torn apart by abuse. And relationships severed. And there's something inside of us that just knows this is not the way that it should be and not the way even that it could be. Tomorrow we celebrate somebody who has um, a holiday named after them, Martin Luther King Jr. Now, in 1963, he gave a speech that resonated so powerfully in those words, and I bet you know them. You know some of them, especially what is called the I Have a Dream speech. And what was that dream? It was a dream of a world different and better than the one that we live in. It contained ideas like this, that people would be judged on the content of their character rather than the color of their skin. And we know that whenever those kind of things happen, that's not the way that it should be. And if we started with good and very good, how did we get to the place where we all long for the world to be a little bit different, a little bit better than it is? And today we're gonna find out exactly how that happened because we're gonna see how paradise got lost. So God created everything, and at the pinnacle of his creation, he created a man and a woman, Adam and Eve, placed them in this incredible environment, the Garden of Eden. They had everything they could want and more, but God put one choice in the middle of that garden. There was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and God says, do not eat the fruit from that tree, because on the day that you do, you will surely die. Now, I think another good question that comes along with that is, why would God do that? Why would God even give them a choice? And so on that day, one of the things that we recognize is that Adam and Eve had a choice and it brings with us a lot of questions that revolve around the idea and really the motivation of God. Why would he do that? Why would he set them up in that way? And let me give you the real short answer to that because love is a choice. If there is no choice, it is not love. And here's where we began too, that why did God even create in the first place? This triune God who was one in three and three yet one, who was in perfect communion, perfect experience of love, created to share that love. And love involves a choice. I think we know this on one level ourselves. Do you remember when you saw the one you know, and maybe, you know, you're married to the one. I can remember when that was for me. And I got on a bus, part of the soccer team, and there was the one who surprisingly a couple years later said yes to actually being my wife. And you remember those emotions that you felt when you saw the one? You know, it's early on and 
man, you just get that warm, fuzzy, lightheaded kind of semi-conscious, you know, feeling of, you know, seeing them and you just love being around them. You know, there's actually some research that's been done in those moments where we would call that, man, I was in love. MRIs show that that moment of when we feel in love is identical to somebody who has just smoked crack cocaine. <laughs> Not making that up. So, when that was going on, you weren't in love. You were high as a kite is what you were. Right, and I think we learn later on, especially, you know, when we say I do and we, you know, begin a life together, that there are some days those feelings aren't there. But love is action-oriented, and so love chooses to walk with somebody and chooses to serve and chooses to encourage and chooses to protect, even on the days when that emotion isn't there. Love is a choice. And so let's enter into that experience and see what went wrong and led to a paradise loss. Now the serpent, and it's going to be a talking snake in this, and that seems a little bit weird to us, and that is a little bit different for sure. We find out in other places in the Bible that the serpent is actually Satan. God has an adversary, an enemy. Who is that? Satan was a created being, an angel. Angels are not our departed loved ones. They are created beings meant to serve God. And they had a choice. And Satan rebels against God, takes a third of the angels with him and those of the demons, and God has an adversary who seeks to undo everything that God seeks to do in this world. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, which by the way, that phrase, neither shall you touch it, is not what God said. See, sometimes we can come up short of what God says, but sometimes we can go beyond what God says. Neither one of those is a great scenario. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. First is a question. Then there's some casting of the shadow of doubt over the nature of God. Is he really for you or is he trying to keep something from you? And then there's a flat outright denial, a lie about what God said. God was lying to you. He's keeping something from you. He really doesn't have your best interests at heart. There's two lies in here. They're the oldest lies that have been around and they are still doing their thing in this world of ours and these lives of ours. To the oldest lies, first one is that sin is not bad. It's not really going to be detrimental. There aren't really going to be, you know, some negative consequences on the other side of that. And I don't know about you, but I can do a pretty good job of convincing myself that maybe what I start out realizing is not going to be good for me. Well, I can manage it. I can control it. It's going to be okay. And I think we can convince ourselves of a lot of things there. Well, it doesn't hurt to look. And I think there are people who find out, you know what, I can't manage it. It does hurt hurts not only me, but the people around me. In a lot of ways in which we can convince ourselves that sin is not bad. The second lie is that God is not good. And God is not really looking out for your best interests. And you can do better figuring out for yourself what will do right by you. 
and what will lead you forward. And wasn't that the promise? Now, here's what God's actually doing. He's keeping something from you because he knows that on the day that you eat of it, you'll be more like him. But in reality, the fallout from what happened on that day has been wreaking havoc ever since. I think we even see it in examples like this, right? When my life is going wrong, it's real easy to look in God's direction and to say, why God? And make that a God issue. But when things are going really good, well, look at what I have done and how smart and clever I am and how much I could leverage my resources. God gets blamed for a lot of bad stuff. I get a lot of credit for a lot of good stuff. When in reality, it's the exact opposite. And what happens on the other side of a man or woman saying, you know what, we're going to do it. We're going to eat of the one tree, the one, make the one choice that God has given, you know, to put off limits. We're going to go there. And for the first time in this world, we see separation. Separation from God, separation from each other, even separation from the world in which we live. Then the eyes of both were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And then they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And for the very first time in this world, emotions like guilt and shame and fear and loneliness and the desire to hide and the desire to pretend are experienced. Not before this moment. That's not the world God created. The world he made was without that, but all of a sudden it shows up. And then God asked this question. Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? Now it's an interesting study when God asks a question. Why? Because God is, amongst many other attributes, omniscient. That means he knows all things. So God is not like us when he asks, have you seen my keys? Because I don't know where they are. God knows where everything is. So whenever God asks a question, he's not looking for information. What is he doing in this moment? This is an invitation. Will you take responsibility? Will you come out of hiding? Will you own up to what just happened? Will you show yourself for who you really are? This is an invitation. But Adam doesn't take it as that. But God knows where he is and he finds him. And then this exchange happens. He said, and this is Adam speaking, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And all of a sudden he recognizes those emotions that I think we're very familiar with. The guilt and the shame and the fear and the hiding and all those things that we would rather people not know. But God already knows. And this is what I think this whole story teaches us about what the Bible describes as sin. Sin is missing the mark. It's missing the bullseye. It's an archery term that we don't hit the bullseye. We, we miss it. And we may think that sin is bad because God forbid it. And God is just putting some random boundaries around some random things to test us and to see if we you know, are going to jump through some hoops. But that is not what this story tells us. That God is not just being arbitrary. Instead, what this tells us is that sin is forbidden because it is bad. And the one who made everything and knows everything 
and created because he wanted to share the love that was being experienced there, put some boundaries around some things because he knows better than we do what will benefit us and bless us and what is going to hurt us and harm us in the long term. And so God put some boundaries. And the boundaries are there not because he's playing some mind game with us, not because he's trying to make it hard for us, because he loves us. Those of you that have children, you got any rules in your home? Right? And my guess is you, you do. If you don't, call us. We need to talk, okay? Because to just let things go, you know, that's a little scary. Why do you have those rules? Are you just being arbitrary? You're saying, you know what? I think I'm just going to come up with a bunch of stuff, see if they can do it, mess with them, you know, teach them to jump through some hoops. Or do you maybe know some things that they don't yet know? Is it because you love them and want to protect them from some things that you know are not going to help them? And in a much bigger and better and more perfect way, there's a God who made everything, including you, who leads us in the direction of what will benefit us and what will not. And what happened in that moment affected everything. Not only in the nature of humanity that by nature and by choice now we have been polluted by this thing called sin. And so has the world. In the book of Romans, it tells us the creation is groaning for the day in which God will fully redeem it. And many times the human experience is groaning for a transformation that we just can't seem to fully get together in and of ourselves. And so everything was affected. You know, we talked about those creations a little bit earlier, and I have them here. And these things were made by, you know, these young hearts, these genuine hearts. And it was incredible, you know, some of the backstories they put together with them. Not only did they name them, you know, they talked about what kind of day they had and what kind of creations they are, you know, and, and kind of what, you know, incorporates into their life. But imagine taking this, and wreaking a little bit of havoc with it. You know, Pig the dog, you got a dog bone here? You don't need that. And did you really need your head or, you know, can we take that off? And you don't need those legs, do you? Nah, we'll take those off. Pookie Bear, yeah, I don't know. I think we're gonna have to cut you in half, Pookie Bear, because, you know, that's just the way it's gotta be. And Slime Head, yeah, we're gonna deal with you in a little bit. And then we got, um, the ocean swimming um, uh, turtle there. Yeah, we don't need those legs or the head. Maybe we'll just cut you in half too. Um, and let's, let's really do some damage. What do you say? <laughs> and Sir Froggy Frogalot, we're going to send you back to the 7th District. <laughs> back where you came from there. And slime head, you don't need that head, do you? No, you didn't. I didn't think so. And we're just going to take all of this and we're just all going to mash it all together and just turn it into rubble. Now, let me ask you a question. How many people are not real happy with me right now? <laughs> There's a lot of mom's hands going up here. Before you rush the stage and we have to call security, here's why we do that. That moment, right, where something was taken, somebody made this, right, and it came from this genuine heart. Picture this, an infinite God 
creating with a desire to share love and creating everything good and right. All that you could want and more. But I'm going to ask you to trust me and make a decision to love me. And what did humanity, mankind do? Say, nope. And on the other side of that, broke the heart of God, whose desire was to be walking with people in the cool of the day. But humanity decided, no, we know better. And it wreaked havoc on God's good world. And it was very good. And on the other side of that moment, God comes to the woman and says, I'm going to increase the pain in childbirth. Some of you may know about that. I know about that secondhand. 30 years ago, my oldest, my daughter came into this world. My wife was squeezing my hand. My fingers are still recovering um, from that moment. And he says to Adam, you know, from the sweat of your brow, are you going to produce anything from the ground? See, work is not a curse. The curse made work frustrating. And we know what that's like. And everything has been affected by it. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody did this, you know, it'd be easy to just say, especially on a cosmic scale, yeah, I'm just going to walk away from that. You made your decision. Now you live with it. But that's not what God does. Look at what he says on the other side of this event. I, God speaking, will put enmity, that is a distinction, a difference, a separation between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And that's a little bit mysterious to us, but here is what this means. God says, what just happened is not the end of the story. And something is going to happen and one day there's going to come one who is going to redeem and interesting that he says in the seed of the woman, because many, many years later, as this began, this thin red line in God's story of redemption, that Jesus would be born to a virgin girl. And include the seed of man in here. Includes her offspring. And it says, he shall bruise your head. That's like a death blow. But you will only injure him. What is that talking about? That when Jesus came, he was put to death on a cross. But it was not a defeat. It was actually the victory that would crush the enemy, God's enemy, God's adversary, and accomplish a victory that would allow all those who put hope and trust in him to be redeemed and to be restored. There's a promise that theologians look back to all the way back here in the third chapter in all the Bible, and they call it the Proto-Evangelium, which means the first mention of the gospel, the good news of God saying, one day it is going to be different, and it's not always going to be the way that it is now. But God makes a promise, and ultimately he keeps that promise. So what Charles Haddon Spurgeon said about this moment, this is the first gospel sermon that was preached upon this earth. It was a memorable discourse with God as the preacher and the whole human race and the prince of darkness as the audience. Some bad news about us at this part of the story. 
and some incredible news about God because rather than throwing his hands up and walking away, he said, no, this is not the end of the story. But I'm going to go to work. And one day, someone's coming. And it will change everything. And we may ask the question at this moment, why didn't God just wipe out evil? At this moment, why didn't you just take it away? And here's really the short answer to all of that, because in that moment, what came into the soul, the being of all of humanity is, this is who we are. By nature and by choice, we miss the mark all the time. And so if God wiped out evil, guess what that would include? Us. And so God did not do that. But instead, he went to work. And one day, someone was coming. But here's an incredible part of that story still in this same chapter. And the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and he clothed them. Remember earlier they took some fig leaves, sold them together to cover themselves. I don't know if you know this, fig leaves are really itchy and scratchy. That was a bad choice, you know, in terms of wanting to cover yourself. You could do a lot better than that. But here's the thing. God goes out into his perfect creation. It has never known death. It has only been good and very good, but on the other side of a decision. God goes into his creation and he kills an animal. And we go, well, why did that have to happen? Why, you know, what was that animal doing? And the answer is nothing. Innocent animal. But this sets in motion something that we see throughout a lot of the Old Testament in a sacrificial system when God creates a nation that the innocent stands in the place of the guilty making payment to cover their sin. And one day, one would come who would do that once and for all time. But here even God sets in motion and does what we could not do for ourselves in that moment, God covers the sin, the shame, the guilt of the people who decided to make a different choice than he wanted them to make. So here's what we know about what this means. Sin is like a virus that pervades human nature. By nature and by choice, that's who we are. And every day, we have a choice. A choice to make about whether or not we will walk with God or not. When Jesus was here, he prayed the prayer that we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Here's a part of it, right? Your kingdom come, your will be done, where? On earth as it is in heaven. That more of up there would come down here. How does that happen? One choice at a time. To lean into God. To walk with God. To know God's direction to avoid God's boundaries, to walk with him, one decision at a time. God has a dream for a world made right. And one day he will fully redeem that. But right here and right now, life is good. It's broken, but it's still good. But one day that's gonna be eternally different. And the opportunity that you and I have to be about God's desire for this world to be different, to be better than it is, is with us each and every day with a decision to love the God who has even created us because he desired to share his love with us.
Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? So God, thank you for who you are. Truth be told, if it were my decision that day in the garden, I probably would have walked away. But you did not. We can all be thankful that you are not a bigger, better version of us. You are in a whole category of your own. And God, help us to know what it is that you have invited every one of us to do. And maybe even right now, the question, you know, for us, where are you? Where are you? And help us to see that as an invitation. An invitation to come to you. An invitation to come as we are but also an invitation to experience transformation on the other side of that relationship with you. And God, help us to be people who recognize at our deepest level, we are jacked up. We struggle. We're broken. But that's not all there is. There's a God who loves us. And because he loves us, he's made a way for us to belong to him, to walk with him, and to experience the incredible purpose and value that he has given to us in these lives of ours. Lead us in that direction, God, for your name's sake and yours alone. So we ask it and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.